I'm your host, Riem Zinlabidin, and you are listening to Tech Tag Podcast. Welcome to the first episode. Today, our guest is Jakub Kozlowski. He is a senior software engineer at Disney Streaming and open source contributor. He gives talks in different Scala meetups and conferences, and he's a content creator. Let's meet Jakub and learn more about his journey. Hello, Jakub. Hello, Jan. It's great to have you here. Welcome to Tech Tech. Yeah, I'm very excited to be here. So tell us about yourself. How did your programming story begin? Did you get formal education in IT? Um, no, I didn't. I mean, well, okay, it's a, it's a longer story. <laughs> I like to say that I'm uh, self-educated, but that's not entirely the, the case. But yeah, in, in school, like in elementary school, in high school, I barely had any kind of computer stuff at all. Um, early on, actually till the very end, uh, I think the most programming-like experience that I had in school was uh, Logo. Uh, so that was a language, uh, I think it's a procedural language that you would have basically an IDE with one panel for code and another panel with uh, a canvas. And there would be a small turtle in the middle of the canvas somewhere. And you could write instructions to move the turtle. I think uh, Software Mail made an app recently, some time ago, mm-hmm. um, in the browser uh, with a similar thing. Like there's also a language for talking to the, to the turtle, basically. Uh, anyway, uh, I think many schools use that as, as uh, a kind of programming-like exercise. Uh, so yeah, you could like move the turtle. You could you could ask it to start drawing, to stop drawing, to rotate, to go ahead, and that was that was actually most of it. It was very simple. You could change the color, and that was like, everything. It was maybe six commands altogether, and you could define functions. I think or, like loops, um, and yeah, that was the the, the only formal programming experience that they had in these education stages. After high school, I tried to get a college degree uh, in computer science. But after one semester, I just didn't feel like it was giving me enough new, new stuff. Um, I, guess, I guess the new stuff would, come, would have come later. And most of the interesting stuff that I was learning in in college wasn't actually related to programming. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was more like the math part. Um, I actually tried, like when I left the computer science degree, uh, I tried to, I tried the, the mathematics course, but at that time I was already working part-time and it was very difficult to do both, to like participate in the, the classes, to, uh, to work and to do all the homework. I just couldn't do all of it. So I, I quit that as well. And I just focus on work full time. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's basically my, my education 
like formal education part of it? So you learn it on your own. You decided to uh, uh, not continue uh, your studies and uh, you uh, learn it programming in your own, right? Yeah, but it actually started very like much earlier. Um, I only went to try and get a computer science degree because I was already into it. Ah. So I guess it all begins when I was, I don't know, maybe 10. Uh, I was still obviously living with my parents. Uh, I was in elementary school. Uh, and I have, a, I have a sister who's seven years older than me, and she was in high school at the time. And she actually did have some sort of programming in school. I think she had basic HTML, uh, maybe something else, but definitely HTML. And I saw some of that, and I actually... Uh, I, I think she just taught me my first HTML. Uh, so that would be the first uh, coding-like experience that I, that I got. And yeah, I made some like fun websites. You know, it was very raw. Like, I don't think I, I even heard of CSS back then. So it was very plain. And the most fun visual thing I had was more, maybe, you know, back in the day, you would have this, uh, these moving this moving text on your website, like a title that would move from the left to right and so on. Uh, there was a specific, uh, I think Mark Quay, something like that, was the tag that you could use to, do, to get that. It was no CSS, you'd just write you know, any kind of text and wrap it in a tag and that was it. Uh, so it was you know, cool back in the day, but obviously it doesn't look cool anymore. Yeah, so just you know, simple HTML. I didn't actually learn all that HTML had to offer. I, I just you know, followed any kind of tutorials that I, that I had because I, uh, yeah, I didn't understand what, what, I, what I was doing. I just did it anyway. <laughs> so yeah, that was uh, the first experience that I had with that. So mostly from my sister, then I guess maybe she or my mom uh, found some other tutorial to give me a little more context. But still, I, I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, this is cool that you started very, very young, 10 years uh, old, right? Yeah, but this is where it gets interesting. That's not nearly as early as you can start. So when I went to junior high school, uh, I switched cities or towns. And I, uh, had a, I was like, completely new in this school. Uh, and my first uh, friend that I, that I met in, the, in this new school was Luke who is, well, he became my, my best friend. We, we've uh, been close friends ever since. So like 12 years now, close to it. Uh, so he actually started learning like Java when he was six or seven. So that's early. <laughs> um, he's still doing, well, not Java anymore. Uh, he's now, a, um, I guess, a front-end developer, mostly. So uh, the apple fell far from the tree. <laughs> but uh, he actually, you know, she, he showed me what programming is. I had no idea you could do this kind of stuff. I, I only knew about HTML. I had no idea how to make any kind of interactive websites, like even JavaScript or anything like the backend languages you would use. Well, everything is a backend language. But any, like, I didn't have any idea that backends existed. I only knew about HTML. Uh, so he showed me so many things early on. I was actually pretty overwhelmed, but it all inspired me to learn what programming is and then to do it. 
So first thing I think I learned uh, CSS um, and I used it with some HTML to build a, well, I had a, like a personal site that had some info about me. Not, not too much. I, I knew not to share a lot of you know, detail with strangers online, um, but it was, well, uh, a relatively uh, simple website with a couple pages. Uh, everything was static, you know, like in, in HTML still and just uh, like for HTML files. But um, yeah, I, I learned in CSS and I made the whole background black and the text was green, you know, like in the matrix. <laughs> that, was a, that was a simpler time. You could just do that, change the font and uh, you had a great looking website. Well, uh, my other um, my other colleagues at school didn't appreciate my coolness, sadly. But yeah, I I, I learned you know a lot of stuff back at the time. So so CSS was just the, the first thing. But uh, well, we, when we were meeting with Luke, uh, I I started borrowing books from him because uh, he had many of these. Uh, mostly because his parents actually also had like a technical background, so they had a lot of books with you know different languages. Uh, there were there were you know C books, PHP books, Java books, any kind of language like Ruby books, uh, you name it, and they had it all. Um, and yeah, one one time I was there, uh, I just picked a, a book that I thought was a good idea to start with. Uh, well, he was recommended that I learn Java like, straight away, so I borrowed a, a Java book, but it was not a good choice at the time, I think. I, I just couldn't, couldn't get through with it, so I read maybe 100 pages and gave up. It was a very verbose book, I felt. Uh, I think that the, the target of it was people even younger than me. I was like 13, but it, it was too you know simplistic i guess would be the word so uh, so yeah i, I just didn't I, I kind of lost interest in, in the whole java thing so i borrowed a, a c book <laughs> which is a another terrible idea because c is so complicated when you like when you are young and you just want to see stuff working like i should have you know someone should have just shown me uh maybe ruby maybe uh maybe python um, that's what I recommend to people nowadays when I when they ask me what they should learn first. Like, just take a language that allows you to do things. Don't worry about like memory. Just get Python or something. Uh, but yeah, I tried C. I actually did pretty well until I saw a pointer. Then I just gave up again. <laughs> and I tried another book. So I borrowed a PHP book. It was actually one with uh, PHP and MySQL in the same book, which was great because I could actually read that book and uh, while I was learning, I think it was kind of interleaved. So while, while I was learning some PHP um, constructs, I would also learn how to connect to a database, how to query stuff, um, even how to, I think that's the first time I learned about how to like authenticate users, how to do password hashing. It was a bad idea because I think it used MD5, but anyway, uh, I didn't know that back then. So I learned a lot of stuff, not just the language from that, and not just PHP and MySQL, but you know, backend database programming, just the basics. But still, it allowed me to build my first websites with actual backend logic. So yeah, so I learned PHP, and I 
I used it for a while. I made a, a school website even with it. You can actually find it. Uh, well, maybe you can't find it, but it's out there. Um, if you know what my school was, you'll get there uh, at high school. Yeah. So yeah, I spent a lot of time with PHP. I kind of liked it until I learned languages that I liked more. Uh, so eventually I met Josh. It's a, it's a really crazy story, uh, but well, long story short, uh, my mother's sister played bridge online mm -hmm. with a woman whose son turned out to be like this world famous Java programmer. Um, he's working at, uh, at the Spring team right now. So by by this chance, we we met and he started. Well, he became my mentor. He got me inspired to learn again uh, because I guess at the time with PHP I was kind of I didn't really try to get back to Java or anything. But yeah, when I met him, I uh, it all turned around again and I started learning Java again. It actually you know, accelerated very, very, very much. And soon after I, well, I finished the book, uh, reading a book, of course, and I started making my own like experiments. Actually, I think by, by the time I met Josh, I didn't have an idea that you could write backend code in Java, I thought, like, well, how do I put that into my uh, my PHP server? <laughs> because when you wanted to host a website for free, at least in Poland, uh, if you wanted to use like a Polish provider, if you wanted to do it for free, you only could deploy PHP because all the servers had that. Mm -hmm. uh, I think everyone did PHP at, at, at some point if they were doing web or backend development in before like 2010, 2014. Anyway, so I, I, I learned that you can actually write backend code in Java uh, with Spring, for example. So I learned Spring. I uh, made a couple of small apps with that. And the next, let's say, couple of years was basically me uh, learning more Java, learning uh, Android just to try a different thing. Uh, I actually tried a little bit of everything, so front-end code, um, backend code, mobile code. Um, I never quite got into AI or big data. It's not, I, I really just, I can see myself getting bored even before I start. So I just, um, I don't feel like it and I, I, I'm happy where I am. But yeah, I tried different things, which I, which I think is really important that you do early on when you have the time and you, nobody's paying you to do something else when you can actually spend some of your time. If you can if you can give it a try, let's say when you're still at school, and that's probably perfect. But still, I think that's the point of university as well, that they teach you all kind of all kinds of these different branches of the industry. They they give you an introduction to to all of this so then you, you know which which one you like the most and which one you can uh, get more expertise in. So anyway, at the time, uh, the, after I met Josh, the next couple of years was mostly that, like strengthening my, my Java knowledge, uh, making some some side projects just just for fun, um, not only in Java. Uh, some of them are still running, like uh, some HTML JS websites with a simple single functionality, like I don't know, a weather app. <laughs> Yeah, just some. I tried some some small Android apps, um, 
never took off, but I actually had something in, in the Android market, uh, which was quite cool. But, in programming, hmm? you besides besides that you need to figure out which or whether you would be a front end back end mobile developer also you need to look for uh, your best the, the language that you like to uh, work with and then as i understood that uh, you mostly like java to be um, able to try this uh, with mobile app uh, to develop mobile app and uh, back end development or uh, yeah, well, you... I, I didn't mm -hmm. really like it that much i guess i didn't know any better <laughs> with no no offense to anyone who works in java or with java uh but uh, i i didn't i guess it was my favorite language until then or the one that gave me the most power because i couldn't put php on the phone so i guess you're right that i actually had to learn to know java and kind of like it at least to write android um mm -hmm. but yeah that was actually cool that you could reuse some of your knowledge here and there. Uh, nowadays, I, can, I guess you can do the same with, uh, with other languages. I guess Scotland can be used on many platforms. Scala as well, but it's not as well supported in like, Android code. Um, but on web, and... at least. Okay. Uh, about Scala, uh, on web, at least we can have a front end. Yes, yes, you can. Although, well, if you think about the amount of people who do Scala for a living and try to overlap that with, the, like, like do a Venn diagram with the people who know front-end, you get a very small intersection, uh, which is a pity because uh, it's actually fun. Like, the, the times that I tried it, it's fun. Um, yeah, but I, I wouldn't actually agree that necessarily you need to find a favorite language. I'm more like, you know, I love Scala and I, I'm not afraid to, to say it. Uh, and it's my favorite language by far, uh, so far. Uh, but I'm more and more lean, leaning to this view that it's just a tool and there are good tools for some things and better tools for some other things. Uh, like just the other day, I actually made an app in Python just because it was faster to set up and uh, I just needed to test something that didn't require the power of Scala or types mm -hmm. or uh, or even the JVM so I could get rid of all of that and just, you know. And also some languages have a different approach to tooling. Like, like let's say PHP, you can just put a file on the server and it works on, on your production machine you can already like you can actually edit code in production whether it's good or bad, or bad is is a different story but that's a that's a fact you can actually do that and try to do that on the jvm so there there are upsides definitely to each of these approaches um and it just it was fun <laughs> like working with php was fun until i got a big project uh but then i also didn't know how to structure my projects very well at the time yeah so at that time, so, so I was still like, mostly Java, and I, I made some money with Java, with PHP, on like websites for local businesses. Uh, we had this ongoing cooperation with uh, another friend, Camille, who, well, he was a, he, well, he is a very talented guy when it comes to, to design, like UI design, uh, anything graphical, really. 
Uh, he makes movies, graphics, and he also designed a couple of pages that I then implemented in you know, both the front-end and back-end code. He's now a front-end developer, uh, or actually a full-stack developer, I think. So th that was like another friendship that, that was strengthened by a common passion for, for money. <laughs> well, not, not, not for money, but uh, I, I liked his designs and I liked working with him uh, that way. And we you know, managed to, to get some profit out of that. And we you know, still collaborate on some stuff, maybe not so actively, but still helping each other in, in this kind of stuff. So yeah, that's another friendship for, uh, from the school days. And yeah, eventually I went to university. I, I tried to anyway, to, to get that degree. And around the time I started, I, well, uh, so I, had to, I have to mention that I was going to conferences early on. Like since I, I met Josh, I think two or three years later, when I was maybe 17, I started going to conferences with Josh, like thanks to him getting, you know, a free ticket because he was such an important speaker on these events and he had this kind of access either that way or some free con conferences locally like free you know small conferences like maybe one day comes or, or meetups really i actually have to mention this because i wouldn't be completely honest if i said i you know, learned everything on my own i got here thanks to my i don't know determination passion or just hard work that's not all of it like maybe you know some of these are true uh, definitely but i also wasted a lot of time when i didn't have someone to follow uh, to learn from and when i actually did you know meet, meet josh luke and uh, and camille like all of this accelerated my development and i i, I am aware and i am trying to make others aware that this takes luck like, it's not just me, it's also, like, what are the chances that me, like a kid from a small town in the middle of Poland, uh, would become friends with someone who writes books about Java in spring and goes to conferences 100 times a year to speak, uh, well, in normal years. So I appreciate how lucky I was to get into the place that I am now. And that is not just my work, that it's also well, all the external factors and m many people don't have that and that's annoying because some people have this kind of you know uh privilege actually yeah. and and they are just like it's just hard work and that doesn't encourage people to try because they don't have the same uh, circumstances so yeah so uh, i have to appreciate that and i have to remember that this is an important part of my story. So speaking of which, uh, going to conferences got me, you know, some contacts. Uh, many people were, you know, surprised to see a, a kid basically at a, at a conference for serious Java developers or uh, basically serious uh, enterprise developers. Um, so I quickly met some people that I met that I that I would see on on many of, of these conferences, and they they would get me maybe some access to like, speakers dinners uh, that I would meet even more people and so on. So it was a cascading effect of actually ha having the right connections in the first place. So yeah, that was important. And so on one of these conferences, I think that was like a result of 
going to some local conferences, like a different branch of, you know, not from the Java story, but more from the Android or mobile story. I got to a conference called CodePod in Warsaw. That was actually a fun event. Uh, it wasn't very expensive. And I think I actually paid for it with my like, pocket money. Uh, and I already had an apartment rented uh, for, for university, but this was during vacation. Anyway, I went there and did the, the format of the conference was, was really interesting because I haven't seen anything like that in, ever since. So it was two days of workshop, just workshops. And you would go to, you would have to pre-register pre to, to them. There was, uh, there was a limit of spots on, on each one of them. And you, I think it was like two workshops a day, four hours each with a break. And I remember I went to, to a workshop by Konrad Malawski from, from well, he, he used to work at, at uh, Lightband. Uh, at the time, it was TypeSafe. And he worked on the Akka team. Uh, now, I think he works at Apple on Swift and Swift concurrency. Uh, so clearly staying in the concurrent distributed system uh, area. Anyway, I, that's, I think, one of the first times I saw Scala. Uh, probably the previous time was a talk by Adam Varsky in Krakow mm -hmm. on Geekon. I, I remember I saw, I think, yeah, that was it. So I just had, saw Scala a couple of times uh, by that time. So this was between you know, school and study, just a couple of months. Uh, I went to these workshops and on that conference, Scala C, uh, a company from Poland, uh, was one of the sponsors, and I talked to them. I still had no idea about Scala. I didn't know anything about the language. I couldn't write a Hello World if I tried. Uh, but I guess I, I kept this in my mind, and a couple months later, I learned Scala, and I applied for a job there oh. at Scala C, and they offered me something like an internship. So... That started about at the time when I started university. And I pretty much spent this whole like semester working there part-time, like on this internship, which eventually turned into a job. And then I quit university because I I was I felt like I was learning more practical stuff at work, which is probably true, but now I think uh, it wasn't just about the practical stuff, right? So yeah, so that's how I landed my first job and I guess I was also really lucky and I am aware that I that they gave me like a second chance on on the the recruitment task that they gave me because I was so young and that I was still just a you know just a student well barely a student I, I hadn't even started uh, going to the, uh, to the lectures before I got the approval uh, of, of this this whole idea. So yeah, that, that's how I ended up with Scassi. I think that you have encountered a lot of obstacles before you got uh, uh, your first job. And uh, how, uh, how about the obstacles when you start your journey uh, in your career? Mm -hmm. So I think there were obstacles, like, well, I don't, want, I don't want to make it seem like it was all a difficult, uh, adventure from the start because I still was you know very lucky as I said 
to get into this position. And I wish more people were in such positions. But yeah, there were some obstacles as well. Uh, I think I lost a lot of time. I wasted a lot of time because I didn't have guidance from someone experienced. So, well, Luke was experienced, but in, you know, in hobby development uh, or, you know, just 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 simple stuff uh, which you did for your own uh, on your own for for yourself and not really any kind of commercial experience and until I met Josh I didn't really have anyone like that so that was uh, quite a showstopper and well the, the I, I didn't really have a community or you know any peers other than Luke who I could mm-hmm. learn from and share my findings with and look for directions and so on ask questions i would have to you know figure everything out with google stack overflow uh, and and things like that uh, which was definitely not as easy as it is now like the, the the amount of online communities that you can join is astonishing and i don't know i i didn't see the communities back then so i cannot say how bad or how good it was but i think it's now is it's a it's a perfect situation if you want to join the community and you should uh, so yeah i couldn't I, I just didn't find one maybe i didn't look hard enough uh, which is probably the case but yeah and locally like i i never met anyone else uh, apart from my close friends who would um do this kind of thing could be interested in that kind of thing uh and that would be you know around my age or willing to to help me. I, I came from a small town and uh, I guess it, it was, um, it, I, I just didn't, you know, not, not many people are interested in that. It, I guess it wasn't that clear that programming was going to be so uh, in demand as it is right now. So not many people considered this kind of thing interesting. Yeah, so that was a, another challenge in the early days. And then when I actually started working, that's when, <laughs> some other problems uh, occurred. I guess I couldn't fit in in the beginning because I was much younger than anyone else working in the team. I was like eight, you know, 19 when I started my first job and my, my first real job and everyone else was at least like six years older. Uh, that's not a you know, generation gap, uh, but it's still enough for you to feel different around these people. But I guess it, it was just a temporary phase and it uh, finally went away uh, then there's well the, the time management like how do you do work and study and uh, have time to meet with friends to meet new people uh, which I think is something I I um, I wasted an opportunity on I didn't really meet any people that I would have a long-term friendship or in kind of yeah, uh, relation with. Uh, I, I don't even talk to anyone who I studied with for this half of a year, which I think was due to my, my time management. Like I, I think I went to like one or two parties during that time uh, and I didn't have a, any other... Well, I guess I, I could have met someone during the, you know, between the lectures, but then that was time to do something else, I guess. So yeah, the, like the time management, I guess I... I sh- Maybe I shouldn't have pushed to get a job so early or an internship. Like I, I could have 
just had an easy time studying if I already knew some of the stuff. Uh, but I, I guess that wasn't interesting enough for me. Uh, so anyway, like like having the time to do things outside of work and studying was uh, was a challenge. And I guess time management has been my problem ever since. Um, the, this first job was already remote, uh, so I never set foot in a in an office uh, of the company I worked for until three years later. Um, well, except for some client work, but that was most that was three weeks altogether. So I just worked from home, from cafes, from uh, my friends' apartments, like any kind of place. Uh, just not an office, really. Yeah. So, so yeah, that was a challenge to like manage the time. Like, where do I? Where does the, the work begin? Where does it end? And uh, how to do you know sports and kind of like keeping staying healthy, meeting new people. That was always always difficult, uh, especially that. Well, recently I uh, I was diagnosed with ADHD, like the kind of inattentive type more than the hyperactive type, but still, apparently, time management is an issue for me partly because of that. So um, that maybe explains some of it, but still, uh, I cannot cannot skip this because it was such a, an important thing. And I hope that after you found out, you now can uh, figure out how you could improve that point, right? Uh, the time management. Yeah, I definitely have some pointers. Um, you know that that seem to work for people with similar conditions. Let's say, of course, everyone has their own way to do it. But yeah, I guess I, I used to work too much. That's that's the problem uh, because I would consider like any kind of break, a pause mm -hmm. in my working time. I would use an app for tracking time, and I would just hit stop on the timer, and that would actually make sure make make my work day so much longer when I actually went like started working at an office I would literally start the time the moment I walked through the door and I would leave in eight hours no matter what and then I noticed how much longer I used to work because I didn't do that mm. and yeah actually since I got back to remote like last year I had the same exact problem and I started just you know saying that I have a time when I start that's the, the virtual door that I go through. And eight hours later, I'm gone. You won't see me on Slack. You won't see me uh, on email. Or you won't see a comment on GitHub. So, and, and that actually helps a lot. That's like rule number one. Just have a set, um, a set like day, work day. <laughs> uh, although the, 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 the time that I start at is still variable, but the the interval between the start and the end has to be constant. Otherwise, I will just work from from the moment I get up and like eat breakfast and go to the computer till very late at night. Yeah. Uh, when I have to work in order to make it, you know, to finish the eight hours in in the day, uh, and then I would just you know directly go to sleep, which is like, there was zero work life balance at the time when I was doing that, and that was maybe I don't know two months ago. Mm -hmm. So so. Uh, yeah, it, it really keeps coming back when you when you start thinking about it. So I decided to just make it a rule, and I keep re keep reminding myself to do it to just keep these hours uh, straight.
so yeah so the, the time management has always been an issue and this uh, will help you to get more time for your friends family and for your health yeah it always helps uh, every time i i do it like that i i end up with a lot of time that i sometimes i don't even know what to do with all this free time that i suddenly, suddenly get And uh, did you also uh, uh, organize your sleep time? Yeah, uh, there's some background that uh, well, our our listeners might not have, but yeah, I already have a kind of late schedule, uh, so you know this, but they don't. So sometimes I go to sleep or used to go to sleep at like four or five a.m. and get up really late in the in the well, actually in the afternoon <laughs> sometimes. Uh, so yeah, I guess it's improved. It's improved for several reasons. One of them is actually this kind of time schedule, that, which allows me to finish work before 4 a.m. <laughs> and this single rule actually helped that as well. Nice. Well, I, guess. I actually got... Uh, uh, there was a point I wanted to mention. Um, earlier, you mentioned about um, that you got lucky uh, about... Uh, Like to get a mentor, but I believe that because you were uh, you you were interested about something uh, about programming, and you got started, and you follow it uh, um, this path, and then along the way the opportunities were show showing up to you, and um, this is why you met. Uh, You met a mentor because you were willing to learn. I think um, I really don't believe in luck. I I feel like if someone knows what they want to do, the opportunities will show up, uh, and then there will be um, many people uh, out there helping them. And also, you can be uh, one of the people who help others because they show up. Uh, looking for uh, for someone who has your knowledge, uh, uh, and you know that you can help them, and uh, uh, it is like a knowledge sharing process, and uh, and this is amazing, uh, and it's great to have a mentor, mm -hmm. I believe, uh, and uh, I believe that. Uh, anyone who really into something, if they uh, just get started and try to follow the events and go for it, they, uh, the opportunities will show up along the way. Yeah, I mean, you're definitely right in some of, in some of that. And I, I agree on some parts, but I, I don't want to be too naive and... I, I would like to think that if you are interested in something and you want to learn, opportunities will arise and you will have the chance to grow as fast as you know possible. But I think the real world is a little more cruel and we, are, we may be biased because we did have such opportunities. Uh, but I, I talked to many people who don't And there's a reason why I'm helping, you know, when someone writes to me on Twitter or something, I always try to help when I have the time. 
And there's a reason why these people are writing to me online and not you know, locally or they don't uh, meet someone by chance. You know, yeah. they, they, they write to me because they saw my Twitter and uh, they saw things. It's not like we bumped into each other. And the, the situation that I had mm-hmm. was much more random. It was you know, more direct because I, it actually, the, the, it wasn't caused at all, but by what I was interested in, it was just that when the opportunity arises, I, I happened to be interested in this topic. And that was the reason why I used this opportunity, why I, why I was able to use this opportunity. But it's, the opportunity was always there. Like it, was, it would have come anyway. Yeah. I was able to take it because I was interested in this. But I wouldn't say the opportunities would have come because I was interested. Yeah. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, to, to spread that kind of, um, well, to, to, to share my knowledge with others, my experience and uh, my mistakes. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to make sure that whatever, you know, the inequality that is there between people like me who has a lot of what I call luck, uh, or coincidence, or I mean, it's probably coincidence. I don't believe in luck either. It's just you know a random uh, turn of of, of events. Yeah. Uh, and but it causes an, inqu- an inequality in that I, I have this and some people don't. So I'm trying to share some of that so that they have uh, like at least uh, like a small part of what I had. Yeah. Yes. And I like what you are doing. You are trying to be the person that you wished to have at one point in time uh, in the past when you um, needed uh, a mentor. You are also helping others. I believe that. We will uh, talk about uh, your work in the Scala community. But before this, I'm interested about uh, how did your career progress after your Mm -hmm. first job? Yeah, so I I worked at Scala for roughly three years, and I worked on a couple of projects there uh, for, for different companies. Uh, not only in Scala, I actually you know, did some other work already. So I, I guess I was a polyglot programmer from the, from the day I started working. Actually, my first project at Scala C was in Scala.js. Like it was Scala and Scala.js in a single project. But yeah, uh, that's, that's like, uh, I was one of the people like you would meet and I would have experience with Scala.js for no reason other than, you know, that was the project they gave me as the first one. And uh, that was funny because people were just like, Scala.js, that's, that's very new. Like, uh, I've never had the chance to try it. And I was like, yeah, that was the first thing I got. Uh, what are the chances? Uh, anyway, so that was Scala.js. Um, but after that job, well, I guess I didn't even start looking really. I kind of bumped into an offer from Akado, and it seemed interesting enough that I took it. It was actually, a, it was no longer a remote job, but I guess I wanted that. I wanted to work, to give it a try to work in an office, and that uh, I did for over two years. Well, it would have been over two years if not for the pandemic, but I guess one and a half uh, years of working in an office. I would drive, well, drive, uh, I would go by 
public transport to the office every day. And I, I actually learned a lot at that company. So I, I joined as a kind of mid-tier developer. And I left as a, as a senior developer. And they learned a lot of stuff from my colleagues and also from my new experience. I definitely learned a lot about taking care of the product that you were working on. And I don't mean that in a way like you should make it your life's mission to, to make this product perfect and you know spend your free time on it and so on and just think about it all day, all night. But caring about the end result more than the process, uh, like more than how I write this code, what kind of code I'm going to have and you know how, how much functional style I want to use and how much cool stuff, cool, cool libraries and, and cool frameworks I want to use. That is not really relevant to the success of the product and to the value that your work actually has. So this is something that I, that I should have learned a, lot, a long time ago, but that's, that's what I learned there. Uh, I actually talk about this and more, uh, more similar ideas, mostly from that company uh, in the video about how I became a senior developer on my YouTube channel. Shameless plug here. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's like one of the lessons just to focus more on the, like how you can possibly deliver the best experience for your users, like help their lives, like help make their lives easier. Uh, especially if my users in here were fellow employees of the company, just in a warehouse and not in an office. So making their lives easier and their work more efficient, in turn, making the lives of our customers uh, easier, uh, customers of the grocery store, online grocery store that Okada was, is. Uh, that was uh, an important thing. And everyone in the team eventually had to understand that. And it, it was kind of part of the culture in that team that we were problem solvers first and not programmers first. Like programmer was just your uh, job description, but what you actually did was try to make the product better and solve real problems instead of focusing on I don't know, arbitrary metrics like code quality, the amount of tests, or how functional your code is. So yeah, this kind of like end goal driven work is something that I learned there, and and many more things. So eventually I got the title and around the time I got it, I started looking for other places to be at. Uh, there was no like specific reason about this company. I absolutely loved uh, most of my time working there and the team was amazing. I really, I, I often miss my team. So if they're listening to this, I really miss you. Uh, <laughs> I hope we can work together in the future. Um, but yeah, and eventually I found out Disney was hiring uh, for possibly remote employees. Uh, I talked to some people. I, I, I used a connection that I had from like Twitter, from the Scala community to, to, get, a, to get myself referred. <laughs> and I, I actually do think that's, that's important to like, like if you just even barely know someone, but they are working at a company that you want to join, mm -hmm. uh, it's still a good idea to ask them to, to refer you. Something like this is an easy way to just get gain like an extra couple percent to that you get the job. And there's no reason why you shouldn't do that because it's a win-win win for both sides if you get, get hired. 
they get money and you get a job. So definitely use that. Definitely use that. And even if you don't know people, but they are open to this idea, like if they have DMs open, you can always try that. You can actually try that with me <laughs> if you don't know me. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, anyway, that's uh, that's well. The, the process took some time, but uh, I got the job at Disney, and now I'm here. Uh, so yeah, I'm still learning a lot. Although well, I have to, I have to say that the first let's say year of working at a company is always difficult for me. Is I, I feel like I'm not making enough progress because of. Well, you have to understand the product. You have to understand the team structures, like between all the teams. Uh, you have to understand the goals that everyone has. And well, you have to then understand the code and the whole domain from the technical side. That's all. I always found this difficult to discover all these things. And if the onboarding process is not really good, it's going to be difficult. Even if it's really good, it's it's usually difficult for me. So I, uh, until very recently, actually, I felt a little overwhelmed by uh, everyone, everything that I didn't know yet, uh, which I think is well, may, maybe many people struggle with this. I don't really know, uh, but I do. So uh, this kind of slow progress early in a job is kind of frustrating, frustrating to me, and and it definitely doesn't. Um, doesn't make me feel good about my progress, but eventually, I guess it goes away, um, and you can focus on being part of the team. So, so yeah, so that's that's probably the biggest difficulty that I, that I have right now dealing with this. Yeah. Is there other difficulties you have encountered? Yeah, I guess when it comes to looking for new jobs, I didn't want to switch too often which is it might be controversial but i'm more in, more and more inclined to think that in the beginning you should switch jobs often like once a year should, isn't really that much if you are at your first job your second job um, if you have the chance to switch projects uh, like you know work on a completely different product that's great. And that's already better than staying at the same product for five years on your first job. I wouldn't, I would definitely not recommend that. Uh, if you can switch projects to something completely different, uh, that's, that's actually a good reason to stay. Uh, because, well, you, you'll keep that ability, right? Uh, and if you switch jobs, you might not be able to do that anymore. So if you have that position that you can switch projects, definitely uh, give that a try. So I, I had this uh, at my first job, uh, I have to admit. Well, so I think I may have gotten more experience if I did that more often or if I actually switched jobs uh, more often. Uh, so later on, I, I understand it's a difficulty because you have financial responsibilities. Uh, you might have a family. Uh, you may uh, just you know, want the kind of stability that a, that a job gives you. But early on, you, you, you have the space to experiment and to see different approaches to building software, to you know, meet different people and use different tools, different languages, maybe. So this is kind of an extension of the idea that I mentioned before, like looking at different branches of the industry that you could work in. Uh, when it comes to the technical side, like which 
do which do you want to be a front end back end uh, developer? Do you want to be a full stack developer? Do you want to lead teams eventually? Like seeing this kind of thing early is important. But then there's like the product perspective, which you also probably should like gain a little of many different pro- kinds of products. Like let's say you work at a at a company that designs mobile apps or like builds a mobile app store. So you would get a little of you know commerce. You would get a little of like API design for mobile applications maybe, and then you would go somewhere that doesn't have a real like a mobile app, like maybe a warehouse, uh, an example from my work, where the specifics of how you work with the users are different because you can actually like, guarantee that when you upload a, a, an update to the application, it will be refreshed because you uh, have control over the hardware. Uh, so like these different approaches, these different, I guess, angles of how the product is built and maybe the areas in which the whole product is like is it commerce is it finance is it entertainment like experiencing these different things gives you a lot of more experience and, and knowledge and yeah if you just switch it switch jobs you get more of that but then again you don't see like it's a trade-off you don't see the consequences of your decisions and i'm talking about any kind of decisions like you know do i use functional style here do i use this framework uh, do i you know, do I do I split the service into two? That's of course probably not going to be a single person's decision, but still, uh, you don't see these consequences if you if you work there for a year. Uh, you would need to to stay there for longer to see that. Uh, so that's that's like a counterpoint to the idea of switching often. But I guess you can always learn that later, like seeing the consequences. But you, you have to learn all these things. Yeah. I would say that you know. Maybe you don't have to like, of course, you can be successful without that. And I've been, <laughs> I have been successful uh, to, to my, uh, according to my myself in, in working in IT, but uh, that's just a way to learn more if you learn all of this. So yeah, if you want to keep learning, which I think you should, change is a good thing, but also like the, the hindsight that you get from seeing, from staying somewhere for longer uh, not just to see the the results of your decisions, but also to to see how the dynamics between people change and so on. If you're interested in that, that's good experience. Like uh, that's it's good to to you know to gain insight in of these things. This kind of uh, I guess I always wanted stability. I never felt like going on contracts for one year and then I would upfront know that I would have to find another one in a year. Like this kind of uh, deadline for finding a new job over my head would be too distracting and it would be too stressful for me to, to be in that situation. Even though I didn't have huge financial, financial uh, responsibilities, I still don't. Uh, I just, I guess I, I need this kind of stability in my life. But if you don't, then by all means, uh, feel free to switch. Yeah, I, I think it's a good idea in general. So that was one thing. Uh, I guess I didn't want to relocate. Somehow, sometimes I couldn't because I had, well, let's say, family here and uh, relationships I didn't that, that I didn't want to make remote. So I was looking for jobs that would be remote or local, and the local aspect is definitely not that easy 
it doesn't make the, the, the task of finding a job easier. Uh, it only makes it more difficult. So I'm really excited to see more remote jobs show up. And remote jobs, of course, have their own upsides and downsides, but at least the pool of possible offers that you can browse through is much larger than in yeah. any in any city, at least in, in Poland. Another thing that I want to mention is like the, the path to promotion. Uh, at some point, like having a mentor is not enough <laughs> because, well, they, they don't, they aren't going to always be there for you in the same company and so on. And you also don't want to bother them all the time. So if you want to grow, you'll eventually want to like get promoted at some point. Maybe it will happen automatically for you. I don't know. It, it didn't for me. I actually had to ask. Uh, and I, I suggest that if you feel like comfortable in your in your job and you are you you know that you're delivering on what your uh, current job description is, let's say, of, on your responsibilities, um, then consider like like see what the next stages could be. Talk to your manager and see like just ask them. I want to be let's say I don't know principal engineer or senior engineer. And uh, and they'll tell you, maybe you can already get that, or what you need to work on. So that's always a good idea to, well, I, I don't think you can get fired for that question. So it's always just a good idea to to see what else you need, what, what else you can learn. Yeah. Uh, and uh, this will vary between companies. And uh, also it would be an opportunity to ask, how would you get there? So they will give you which task you need to fulfill so and then yeah, exactly. you reach your goal yeah yeah so so i had i guess i had this trouble once um that could be an obstacle like if there's an unclear path to promotion that's definitely not good uh, and companies should strive to work on that to make the process as clear as possible uh like the requirements should be transparent like everyone should know what it means to be a senior developer at that company and everyone should know how long it can take to uh, to go through all the formalities because it's really annoying when it takes a lot of time and you don't know what's happening. Uh, so visibility into that kind of stuff is important. But yeah, in, in some com companies, it's just not clear how to make that jump and the titles, the title changes are kind of arbitrary based on maybe the, the years that you have spent working this shouldn't be the metric because uh, people learn differently. You can learn in two years, maybe what someone else will learn in six, or you can be working in this area, like in, in this, you know, in, in tech for 15 years and still be nowhere near senior. If you don't, if you, maybe you don't want to, that's all right. But, you know, experience as a, as a time uh, measure, uh, experience measured, measured in time, is valuable, but it's probably not the most important metric for saying how advanced you are. Yeah. And and you know, this goes both ways. You do need time to get some actual experience. Like time in production is really important. I wouldn't call anyone a senior if they haven't been in production, seen a seen an incident. Like I <laughs> I reserve the right to call exceptions on that, but <laughs> but uh, it would be really difficult to to become you know, as mature as a developer, if you don't see this kind of stuff, if you don't see a fire in production, 
Yeah. But I hope maybe some people can get that. <laughs> I hope you don't have to put a fire at first, uh, costing money, uh, like virtual fires, of course. Hopefully virtual fires. <laughs> um, but I, I don't see that happening another way. I'm, I'm, I would be happy to be proved wrong. Well, the, the promotion is a tough topic, but I, I, we should talk about it more. And as part of that, when I was trying to become the senior developer, I noticed that I had sort of this this vibe <laughs> that I was giving or trying to give. I was still young. Well, it was very recently. I am I'm still young. And I realized that I had to be taken a little more seriously if I wanted to become a senior developer. And I've always tried to be, you know, to, to use the fact that I was young to be, you know, this cool energetic guy who would throw out random ideas and somehow make make silly mistakes and make a, make jokes sometimes at the wrong moment and and suggest things that weren't the best ideas and just experiment and you know do what I I'm supposed to do at that age. But eventually, when I wanted to make the step up to this more serious role, I realized I had to change. How people see me in in the workplace, and this would include, for example, not you know making jokes when it's inappropriate. Of course, that you probably shouldn't do that ever. <laughs> but you know these lessons came to me late, and uh, you know tried to be a more serious person uh, while still keeping that kind of vibe and soul that I can be fun. It's just that I knew when to become serious. When you see an incident, for example, sometimes I would say, oh. Uh, oh no, there's a fire. That's it, it's not like the, this ever happened before, and that's just maybe like an issue that happens every week. Uh, like making jokes in that in that moment was probably not the right idea, mm-hmm. and I would sometimes do that. And later on, I would just you know when I was actually on call and in the process of getting to that senior role, I always tried to like solve the problem first and make it really clear that this is my goal. I want to solve this problem. What can we do to, to get there? And, you know, communication or having a good vibe on the Slack channel with the incident is not as important. We need to, uh, we need to solve the problem at hand. We need to save money for the company. That's what we need to do right now. And we can make jokes later, but right now this is what we need to do. So this switch from like this young techie person that I was always trying to be, more or less subconsciously, to, to a serious engineer in a role that actually carries some weight. That was a, a challenge that I had to realize that it is there because they don't tell you that. Nobody will tell you. Well, maybe someone will tell you if they're honest and a good person. Uh, but I had to learn this and kind of realize this myself. Yeah. These are uh, interesting point to mention for people who are starting their journey it's really i remember a, a colleague i i mentioned to him at this point that um, it would be better to not make this kind of jokes or to not laugh during that time or something like that and it sounded not kind from my side but i like it that he took the advice and he appreciated it yeah yeah, I, I mean, you were you're just being honest and uh, trying to gen- genuinely help. I think it's a matter of like feeling the responsibility. I don't know, but yeah, I, I think it's important to know when it's time 
for jokes and when it's not. Uh, and of course, like during the incident, uh, when when you're like waiting for a process, like maybe you're doing a a redeployment or you're deploying a like doing a rollback while you're waiting, it's probably okay to make a joke. Yeah. But you know, it's always you have to know uh, read the room basically. Yeah. yeah <laughs> There's a time true. for everything, and uh, and sometimes it's not time for jokes. Yeah. Now, let's talk about your uh, content in YouTube. And I see that you also are giving talks. And uh, I was happy to attend many of your talks uh, in, I think, in 2018. During these uh, three three years, tell us how you get there and about your experience. Sure. Uh, by the way, I appreciate uh, you watching my talks, coming to, to the talks and the uh... I, I appreciate the support, and that, that that applies to everyone who who goes to them. Uh, of course, I hope I can return the favor to everyone <laughs> at some point. Uh, actually, like if if you go to my talks and then uh, like feel free to ask me questions because that's like the least I can do for you for uh, for your time and attention. Yeah, this applies to both like talks that people come to and videos that you watch. So the story. I guess begins when I was just going to conferences as a attendee. I guess I liked the attention that you know that you'd get when you were on the stage when you were giving a talk. Uh, I talked about this briefly in a different podcast in the Scala Logs, which you should definitely follow. It's a great podcast as well. Yeah, there's this attention, and then there's the ability to share your knowledge. And I'm not sure which one was the most important for me in the beginning. When I when I went to give my first talks on, on local meetups in Poland or to actually apply for conferences, but eventually it was about having fun and also sharing the knowledge and also kind of convincing people. So kind of marketing like, <laughs> uh, but I, I never like you know marketed anything. I uh, I was selling. I did show a couple ideas or maybe experiments or libraries that I uh, that I came up with. Let's say this library Flawless that never uh, turned out to be a library, but I, I never profited from this financially, which I, I don't think is a, like necessarily a bad thing if you do that. But anyway, my point was to share something cool that I made and convince people, let's say, to FP. Uh, I convinced people that functional programming is a nice way of writing software. Because this would be like a long-term uh, master plan. If I convince everyone, everyone in air quotes, uh, to write FP, then any company that I apply to will do FP. So this is a way of popularizing the technique that I wanted to use at work. And I couldn't do that if people didn't know it, and if people didn't know, if people didn't know the advantages of it. So I wanted to give. FP, for example, the kind of attention, uh, like get people to focus their attention on that so that they would learn it and they would uh, realize how useful it is. And it would be just maybe a, a tiny bit easier to find a job that includes working with that code, that kind of code. And everyone else is doing the same I, that, I, that I can tell, like in the, in the functional programming community in Scala, people usually like when, when you see an introduction to Cass effect or to cats, people will do that 
to get other people to, to use that so that they will use it at their daily job if they convince, convince the entire team. And there will be more FP in the wild. And then we can both talk about the success of FP, which will then which will which will then like trigger even more people to use it. And we also have the benefit that you can see other places that are using it and you can join them and you can make a living out of this. So so spreading the good, like the gospel of FP is a uh, is one of the goals that I have currently when I'm like making content about that. But it's also really fun to show something that you've made, whether it be slides or a really good description of a problem or a solution uh, or a video. Like I, I, I really lo- like the feeling of like clicking publish or when I finish giving a talk, when I just finished that last sentence, I, I thank, for, thank the, the viewers for the attention. It's a great feeling that you have shown something that you've made and when I'm just, you know, one of the developers in a huge company, I don't get that very often because there's so many people that that are involved in, in the success of a product that you don't feel this kind of, you don't feel like you're that big a part of it. But when you when you do something fully for, on your own, like a talk, like a video on YouTube, or like a blog post, then it's yours and you, you just feel proud. Yeah. So that's... That's fun. And also like the process of making them is also fun. Like uh, when you are looking for funny pictures to use in your talk and when you're looking for music for your video or um, when you're coming up with examples for for the project that you want to show, that's that's also a lot of fun. And they, well, I guess it's it's not as big, but I guess I'm sometimes interested in the way that people learn and the different approaches to how you can introduce a problem and the solution. For example, you, there's the general rule, like the general school of bottom-up learning and top-bottom learning. Yeah, I guess bottom-up is like when you start with the small details and then you build bigger stuff like on a higher level and you, then you show how that applies to, to a big, big problem. The big picture goes at the end. And then there's top-to-bottom which would be like you start with this problem, this big picture, and you go into the details more and more. So that's one way. Like these are two ways of teaching someone something. But but that's not not like the only decision that you have to make when you are preparing content to educate someone. So then there's like how practical an example is. Or this is like a great, a a very important trade-off, like between examples that are concise and easy to grasp and examples that are practical. And it's a fine line that you have to find to give the right examples. So yeah, so, so that's kind of interesting, but it's not like the, the thing that I enjoy most, like figuring out this this line. Uh, but I, I try to keep it, in, keep it in mind because it definitely has an influence on how good the content is. And I guess the worst feeling is when you, when it's not appreciated, when you when you make something that you're proud of, which I sometimes get, but then I realize it's just because the topic isn't as popular. And for example, a video about, let's say, uh, singleton types will not be as popular as a video about Traverse or Tagless Final, which for if you look at my views, are some of the most popular videos that like by, by a factor of 10 uh, compared to some others. 
but it's really great when people appreciate something that you spent a lot of time on, uh, which happened uh, with my like the videos that I spent the most uh, the most time with, and I actually like made very precise changes to the very end. Um, they they got appreciated, maybe the, because they were good topics. And not just because they were done well, which I hope they were. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a good feeling when it's appreciated. But sometimes I just don't care. Like I, I have to, I, I would say a creator of content, uh, educational content or any kind of content, I guess. You have to be immune to people not liking it. And you just have to learn how not to be bothered by, by this and just realize that sometimes people will like it, sometimes not, and that's all right. You don't need to be, you know, spot on every time. Yeah. As long as you are satisfied with the amount of work that you've put in, I think you've won. And if you're, if you teach anyone something, you, you've won yeah. tenfold. <laughs> yeah. Of course, like people are welcome to disagree with me. Like maybe it's important to to notice the. The flaws that you make, of course, it is important to improve on yourself, but just don't take it too much to to your heart, and also like ignore the haters. If you are a popular YouTuber, you probably don't want to read the, the comments. So yeah, uh, that's I guess what's what's driving me. And I I like giving talks. Unless you have any, any questions right now. Uh, I just uh, wanted to say that every time when you uh, you try your best and. And from that experience, sometimes you learn from your own experience, your content. You say, okay, the next time I will improve on this or you get feedback. And then the next time you you try to improve it. But on every time you are trying your best. And this is also nice that you are taking your time from your own time to provide information to people. And many people appreciate and are like, I really appreciate that uh, and I'm from these people. I like your content and keep going. Thank you. I, I liked your content as well. Uh, like, not liked, uh, that may have been misspoken. Um, and I, I enjoyed I enjoyed this. <laughs> what we are doing right now is a great discussion we're having. Uh, I, I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about all this. And uh, by the way, if someone listening doesn't know, we made a video with VM last year. Uh, I think in December, it's on my YouTube channel. I do recommend watching it. Yeah. Um, I guess the formats that I'm using to to share some knowledge. Oh, by the way, I I, I have to mention uh, there's another reason that I skipped uh, accidentally. Uh, I wouldn't be honest if I didn't say that making content also benefits me as a, a person who's looking, like, you know, who, who lives of this. I work for a company and write, write you know, private code that nobody else sees, but this kind of content that I'm putting out there also gives me visibility. And it's actually been a factor in me getting at least this last job that people could recognize me from these videos or these talks. And that also cannot be you know, uh, underestimated how important it can be if you are doing this stuff. Of course, I wouldn't say everyone has to. Uh, not everyone is meant to be to to educate and not everyone can. I'm not saying I can do it well, but I sometimes hear that's the case, so I'm trying to. 
but it's it's one of the things that can give you this extra edge when you are applying for a job that you maybe if you are doing good content online uh maybe you will be able to share your your knowledge with the team as well and to like onboard new employees and on, onboard your colleagues to a new topic that you've uh maybe investigated as the leader of a topic of a let's say a, a project at your company so that's i guess it shows a, a different skill but also gives you this uh, tangible resource that you can send someone like here's a talk i made you can use it to decide if i if i can uh work at this company like it, it can give you extra points so that's another thing that i use this for but uh i guess it's not the most important anymore uh not until i'm looking uh, uh, until i start looking for the next job <laughs> anyway um yeah so i like making talks for some reasons but if, for some reasons i don't i I prefer other kind of content. I've been making talks, I think, the longest. That's the I've been giving talks on Scala since 2016. It's actually kind of strange because it's one of the most difficult things to do. Uh, you are doing this all of this live, at least in pre-pandemic times, or hopefully, if we get to post-pandemic times, that'll be the case again. But it's really difficult, and people were always surprised that I was doing this with not a lot of preparation. I did have like one course that was, I think, two days at SCASI, a public speaking course. We, we had one. Uh, but, uh, well, it's just, you know, you can only learn so much in two days. Uh, so I, I was mostly like trying it with little preparation. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 really difficult, which is I don't do it that often, or I don't do it that often anymore. Also, well, it's a it's a difficult time to do it. There isn't there aren't that many conferences, and there are almost none offline still. And for for a while, there won't be many. But the preparation takes a lot of time, not just speaking. But if you are making any kind of project to showcase, if you are making slides, it's an enormous amount of work and time, at least for me. And maybe I'm just too de detailed in some things, but let's say a good talk, like the, uh, the one that I made, uh, Connect the Dots, about architecture, functional architecture, it took me probably in the hundreds of hours, like a hundred plus definitely, to make just the project and the slides, and then to like uh, rehearse a couple of times to record it uh, because it was pre-recorded. It's a lot of time and it's just so, well, I, I just don't have this kind of uh, commitment. I don't want this kind of commitment anymore, I guess, uh, or I can't do it consistently because it takes so much time out of your life. And uh, there's a limited like range of who will see that because you have the attendees, of course, and then it usually goes online but it will be posted on a channel that you don't have control of. You can promote it on your own platforms, but usually uh, when I look at my previous videos, uh, like talk recordings, they don't have as many views as my videos on my channel. So I reach more people on my own medium. And also it's, you know, it's usually live and it's not as well prepared as, I, as you would do it if you could you know, make a cut at any, any given moment.
Uh, or if you could look at a screen all the time instead of looking at the audience every now and then. But it's, it, it has its upsides as well. Uh, like you get questions almost immediately, like after the talk, or, or if, you, if you want to, you can probably get them during the talk. And you have an audience in front of you, again, in pre-pandemic times. Yeah. And the interaction, if, if you have a good interaction with the audience, as some speakers can do, I probably can't. Uh, if you, if you can do it, it's going to be a great talk and a great experience for, for everyone involved. So it's definitely like if you, if you haven't done this in, before, I would recommend giving it a try. Uh, it takes a while to get used to it, of course, and it's stressful as hell, but it can be very rewarding. Mm -hmm. uh, like I just said before, it's like the feeling that you get when you are done. Uh, it's like a massive um, relief. A relief like a massive relief yeah so yeah so that's that's talks but for youtube I, I guess it's like the exact opposite like you can make cuts any moment you can repeat a given section if you want to uh if you're not satisfied with the previous attempt and i do this very often i i'm not afraid anymore to make cuts at, like all the time uh and it, i guess it works in the in the current formats that i that i do of course you still have to prepare stuff but it's not as stressful and you it depends on how long you want to make the videos and what kind of stuff you're doing like if you want to do a tutorial where you just show how you are solving a problem that's probably the easiest to, to record uh for example like i'm talking from my experience that the videos that i make in this style that i have an idea that i want to get to and a couple checkpoints let's say uh that's good enough for me to just go on and and record it. I don't usually need to prepare a lot. And it doesn't take a lot of time to record this and to edit and to upload. So I can put out a lot of this content rel relatively much. Uh, let's say once a week is a possibility because it doesn't take so much preparation. And that way you get to share more, more knowledge. But then again, if you do it like that, you will have a lot of like ums and uhs, like probably I did in this podcast a hundred times or more. And you'll have silence and you'll need to edit that out or leave it in and uh, risk wasting your viewers' attention. Yeah. But still, you can, you can make a lot of content like that. And I guess I'm aiming for a good balance of quality and quantity right now. So that make good enough content, but trying to share as much as I can to just educate people. I, I don't like really don't like saying I'm like an educator or that I educate people because I... I'm trying to be humble, but uh, but I guess that's what you would call it. Uh, and also, I'm not like formally educated. I don't have a, a certificate that I'm authorized to to teach people Scala or teach people functional programming. And sometimes I get called out for this that I'm just saying, well, stuff that doesn't make sense. And sometimes it's true. Uh, I guess it's very much the case sometimes. But uh, I'm trying not to pretend to be an expert on everything and just you know go with the flow and admit that i'm not not the expert and you are educating people because you are having a content and uh well unless i mean as long as it's uh not factually incorrect i, I guess that would be the case <laughs> yeah. so yeah so no, right now i'm when it comes to my like online content i'm putting most of my focus on on the youtube channel uh, it 
I think it's the most fun and it allows me to to consistent consistently put out content and also not get bored too too quickly. Mm-hmm. And also I have invested so much money into this that I just have to. Uh, I bought a camera, I bought this microphone that I'm using right now. I uh, got different lenses for the camera. Uh, I'm probably not, I'm definitely not using all of that as I could given the amount of of money it cost. Uh, like this is semi-professional stuff and I'm doing, you know, just a random tutorial every two weeks or so. But it's, I guess it is kind of motivating that I've already sunk some cost and I need to follow through. As long as it gets me to make another video and I'm not doing it for, you know, out of routine and, you know, just to push out more boring content, I think it's good. It's just another reason to do it. Uh, How many subscribers do you have in your YouTube channel? Yeah, I recently reached 1500. Uh, So thank you everyone who subscribed and most of you are still not subscribed. (laughs) I say this in every episode recently that uh, that uh, in the statistics that I see, uh, most viewers don't aren't subscribed, which is strange because of, like why are the new people not not subscribing? <laughs> of course, I don't have any any money for this. Like I cannot even monetize my channel yet. I'm missing the the few hours, but uh, I guess seeing seeing the subs is you know a form of gratification. Like it's of course just a virtual number and the views are probably more important because that's actually the people who saw your content. But it, it is a, a metric that helps you see where you are. Yeah. And after the podcast, you will get many subscribers. I, I will so. put... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope. Is, is there anything else you'd like to say before I will ask you another question to, to jump to the latest topic? I guess that's that's all of it. So yeah, just uh, maybe advice for uh, people who want to make content. Find the format that you feel the most comfortable with, uh, like whether it be talks or blog posts. Like this probably didn't work out for me very well. Uh, or like, is it YouTube? Is it podcasts? Uh, there's many way to, ways to, to shine. <laughs> Let's say to shine. Well, to to share your knowledge and, and to maybe promote yourself a bit as well. So you can give it the try to do all of these things and then just stick to the one that makes you the most happy or gives you the, the result that you want. Uh, this is probably like obvious, just try everything and keep what you like the best. But I guess it's a constant theme in this episode that this is the way to go. So I'll just repeat it one, once more. Cool. The latest... A question I have for you today, uh, which advice uh, would you give to your younger self? So I think I've made many mistakes along the way. And one of them was uh, like getting stuck and not, not moving forward for a while. And this was mostly because I didn't have guidance, didn't see what the rest of the path was. And I guess I just didn't have someone to learn from on, you know, on the right level. Like I, I had a friend who I could, could always ask for, uh, for help, but eventually we would reach a point when neither of us knew what to do or how to grow, grow faster. 
or just you know grow more. And then I had a I had a mentor who they're not going to be there always for you. Like you don't want to bother them all the time. So and you also don't work with them usually. Well, you might have a mentor uh, at the company you work at. That's probably very nice to to have, but it's not always going to happen. So just having someone to learn from and having a community. Uh, well, the, having a community gives you so much, like a sense of belonging, like the ability to talk to like-minded people. It's a never-ending uh, list of upsides. There are some downsides in some communities. It really depends on how welcoming it is. And well, if you're not feeling welcome at the company, uh, at the at community, you can look for others in every language. There's probably dozens of communities that you can join. Like in Scala, there's maybe not dozens, but there's plenty of you know Gitter or uh, now nowadays Discord servers that you can join to talk to people. And in I guess in every area, every language, every like part of the industry, you can find something. And I guess it's I, I suppose it's never been easier to start. Uh, there's all these sites like Dev.2 um there's just a lot of beginner content and i want to make more of of beginner friendly content as well which i am aware that i'm not doing a lot of uh but i want to anyway like finding a community early and a mentor ideally like if you can find a mentor that's great especially if you don't have to pay for that because i know you can uh, find a mentor you have to pay to spend time with and that, i guess that's okay like uh for the, it's it's not a bad move to to take money for spending time on something you do for essentially work, uh, but if you can find someone who will help you for free with you know just a couple of messages a week or you know a, a voice call every month or something like that, and getting ideas for what you can do next, that's really important. So I would I would have done this if I knew. Uh, that this was what I'm missing. Just you know, keep looking for people to learn from. Like being the dumbest person in the room, as people like to call it. Uh, like if you're not, uh, if like for the people who didn't know this, if you're not the dumbest person in the room, change rooms, go to a different room where you are, so that you actually have people to learn from. So so yeah, so th that's one thing, and I guess I've been following this and probably didn't stop like ever but keep learning and don't don't get stuck in your comfort zone either because well you can you can this doesn't feel like getting stuck in, in learning because you don't have this you know um anxiety of not knowing what to do next but this feels more like you don't want to learn because you don't feel like you have to when you get this feeling, like, well, when you notice that you are in this situation, it's not really a feeling, but if you notice that you are not learning anymore and you're not being challenged, you should probably change that. You should find something new to learn, maybe something from a completely different branch of the industry, uh, like a different language. Le learning a different language is always good. Uh, I've recently been learning Rust. Uh, I'm planning to make a video about that as well, but <laughs> it's taking a lot of time because it's, I want it to be perfect. Uh, just learning a new language, a new technology, a new framework, whatever, uh, making something new, like experimenting with stuff, 
maybe making content to educate others. This also helps you learn because you cannot teach something you don't know very well. So challenge yourself like, continuously. If you want to grow, do that. If you don't want to grow, that's fine as well. Like, you can stay at any point if you're comfortable, if you just want a, a, a well-paid job. If you have one and you are okay with that and you just want to uh, well, do other things in life if you're not as obsessed with programming as I am or, or some other people are, uh, you don't have to. Like, remember, that's okay. And we should have interests outside of work. And yeah. definitely not making your life, uh, your work, your life is what I would recommend, like having a healthy balance here. But if, you, if, you, if this is what you want, if you want to spend your free time coding, go ahead. It's, it's all right. And yeah, if you want to grow, remember to try doing it and to just challenge yourself and not keep doing what you've been doing for the last couple of years. Yeah, these are valuable advice. Thanks a lot, Jakub, for taking the time. It was very uh, nice to talk to you and you have an inspiring journey yeah, thank you for the invitation, and I I was really um, it was really nice to to talk about all of this, and I I'm glad that I have a place to to put all that all these thoughts and to to share that. So yeah, I I, I wish everyone listening to this who listening to this who's in the beginning or you know stuck in their journey, like you know get get over your your problems. I mean that's not a magical like way to. To, to solve your problems, but just, uh, you know, I hope this will inspire you to, to make some steps and, and overcome your, your issues. And uh, I guess one, one final like, point of advice, if you are overwhelmed and you feel like you need a break, take the break and come back later full of energy. And this includes like, you know, taking time off work or just giving a break to, to the whole learning stuff uh, like everything, just nobody can blame you for disappearing from a community or for, for a while or or just, you know, focusing on your mental health. I think that's really important, yeah. especially nowadays, uh, not only in the, in the times of, of remote work being that uh, popular, but, well, <laughs> I guess that's like a, a more philosophical thing. But in the current age, it's easy to... I guess more, more and more people are getting depression and other yeah. mental health issues. So it's important that we think about this and like know when to stop to not lose our, you know, our mental health. So yeah, so again, thank you for, for inviting me and I hope um, you enjoyed this as much as I did and I hope everyone listening to this will subscribe to this podcast and yeah. Thank you. My friends, I hope that you enjoyed listening to the story of Jakub. I encourage you to follow him on Twitter and to subscribe to his YouTube channel. I will put the links in the description. I can't wait to the next episode to hear a new inspiring story with a new guest. Until then, stay safe and stay tuned to our next episode. Tick-tack! Tackle the inspiration.